0: I'm always looking for that side project that I don't have to like be really beholden to a boss or a company about. To be completely open, I didn't get paid a dime from working electric. It was purely because I wanted to one kind of work with my friend. I saw an opportunity to like make something like really cool for her. And two, just to have that side project.
1: Listening to Well Fed. I'm your host, John Sarantino, a designer based out of New York, and on each episode, I sit down to talk with one of my creative heroes individuals whose work, style, and ideas I admire and continue to be inspired by every day. We discuss their past, present, and everything in between. Hey, before we start, I'm trying out something new this season and I need your help. I'll be releasing episodes every Tuesday until the final episode, and I'll be keeping my fingers crossed that I can keep up. I would love to get your feedback after every release, and I'll be giving away stickers and pins to everyone that helps out as a thank you. All you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts or share the podcast on social media. Take a screenshot and DM it to me on Instagram or Twitter at WellFedPodcasts, and I'll send you some good old-fashioned snail mail. With that, enjoy the episode. On this episode, my guest is Danny Owens, creative producer at Squarespace, and also a talented photographer who's worked with the likes of Gap, Pendleton, Moment, and Urban. Danny, thank you so much for joining me today. What's up, dude? I'm super excited to have you on the podcast today because the way we came in contact was pretty random. It was over the summer, and I had just rounded the corner of the Squarespace office, and I saw the great, big, colorful, shiny facade that you had kind of put together in place for Pride Month. And that was a huge event that you were producing called Stand Proud.
0: Yeah, man. So that was this like physical activation I got to work on. I've always been kind of into seeing things come to a larger scale within like physical activations and experiential stuff. Like I always love going to like brand pop-ups and there's so many in New York. So I kind of want to do one of my own. And yeah, luckily I got to work on that and work with a fabricator and a really cool artist.
1: That event was more than just the outside of the Squarespace office. What else did it entail?
0: So that was the physical activation. It was a kind of a microsite encapsulating um, the stories and photos of five to six uh, like kind of customers that are part of the L.A. LGBTQIA uh, community and there was an event where it was kind of like a gallery opening. Yeah, it was a really like I saw it was like a really like holistic celebration of that month and what it means.
1: You guys got to also work with the Renowned photographer Ryan Pfluger. Yeah. Those portraits were beautiful, and the space here, you know, you invited me to come check it out, was amazing. The turnout was insane. There was a line out the door for people to get their portraits taken. Yeah,
0: that was cool. I worked with another producer um, to do the photo side of it and kind of brought it together into that event, but it was really kind of a nice way to tie together where Ryan gave community portraits out, essentially. You know, he just kind of opened up his uh, creativity to whoever wanted to walk in and have a photo taken.
1: Um, I'm kind of jealous I didn't wait in line. Yeah,
0: it was a a long line.
1: The shrimp was just
0: too good at the (laughs) food bar. Before
1: we kind of jump into a little bit about uh, your beginnings, have you found an alternative to Hot Girl Summer yet?
0: So my, I've coined this, it didn't really catch on, but I thought... uh, Co- cozy boy autumn was was hopefully going to be the thing. Um, mm. I mean, I'm going to embrace it, but... Yeah,
1: there needs to be an alternative. Hot Girl Summer was big, and now I'm feeling a little left out.
0: Yeah, I felt left out, too. Like, <laughs> my beach pod wasn't ready.
1: I, yeah, I was also way behind on that. So you're originally... You're not from New York. You're no. from the West Coast.
0: Yeah, I'm from all over. I really struggled to figure out like what my home is. I was born in Palm Springs, California, which is really random. A lot of people go there for Coachella or, you know, a weekend out of L.A. or go to Joshua Tree, but like I lived there for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up bouncing up to the Seattle area to go to university and live there for like four years. Then lived in Portland for a year, moved over to Philly for like nine months, and then I made it to to New York.
1: To New York. As a kid, you were inspired by the writings of Mark Twain, Robert Louis Stevenson, and H. G. Wells. Yeah. Were there any kind of standout books or anything like that that come to mind?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was like a really like nerdy kid that was like really always into a book, and I feel like I was really drawn to kind of like those late. 19th century kind of like American English novels like I loved Time Machine by H.G. Wells I've read Adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn like a few times you know there's Robert Louis Stevenson wrote a ton of great great books about kind of like that sea adventure life I'm not like this adventurer going to the North Pole but I think that's like where my like drive for, like, storytelling came from, because it just, like, enveloped me as a kid.
1: That's cool. I also read that you ended up going to a school called the College of the Desert. (laughs) Yeah. And I did a little bit of looking into it, but still the name is very ominous and pretty badass, to be quite honest. Yeah, yeah.
0: It was COD for short. Everyone thought I was talking about Call of Duty when I would talk about it. Um, (laughs) Nice. But, yeah, College of the Desert was... Essentially, the only uh, it was a community college in in the Coachella Valley, um, and that's where I like went. That's where I like, like kind of got my first two years of school and all my general eds out of the way. I was still like majoring in art there. They actually have a really amazing kind of like arts program, and you know my two favorite professors, Judith Cook and Ida Foreman. If you hear this, shout you're, out, you're amazing. But yeah, that's where like, I kind of like got this whole like I can do something that's creative and like artistic, and there's a lot of opportunities out there. So I started with graphic design there, and then. And ended up doing a lot of just like fine art classes. You know, you know, I took screen printing and Mm -hmm. ended up starting my a little screen printing business while I was there. So it was it was a weird little school and their their mascots, like a steroided up roadrunner, but (laughs) it, it got my start in what I wanted to do.
1: Before we talk about the screen printing, going through preliminary school and high school, were you taking any art classes or anything like that as well?
0: Yeah, I mean I think throughout my early schooling, like my parents always accepted or promoted Doing anything that was related to art, you know, I, I was always like in an art class extracurricular too, like not just in school, but like going to art classes. Or I, I played the violin for ten years, or I I just was able to like try my hand at stuff. So I think that is always like was supported or ingrained in me that I could do something in this realm.
1: Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you took a screen printing class. and yeah. I shared a similar experience where I was like, yes, I can make anything I <laughs> want now. This is it. You started a clothing t shirt company or Yeah, you did line. some deep dive. Yeah. <laughs> what was that called and, and what was it about?
0: Um, so I called it ephemeral youth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was super into the term ephemeral at that point because <laughs> it, it basically means something that's like short but long lasting. So, like, something that's like a very capsulated time in your life or moment, but runs through the course of your life as a memory. Mm-hmm. I was doing all these designs for, I think I was taking like an intro to graphic design class. And I ended up just all sticking a screen printing class and just made screens and printed them there was like just like random like arrowheads or like feathers like it was around like that time of like 2012 2013 where festival stuff was the rage so I kind of like was inspired by like you know Mumford and Sons and of Monsters and Men and stuff like that very folk yeah very folky like needless to say like I think I sold maybe 25 shirts there you go did not make any profit (laughs) off of that at all but it was it was fun
1: that's the first like business uh, kind of encounter. You yeah. sort of realize like, oh man, there's a lot more <laughs> that needs to be done. Yeah, I didn't even
0: have the orbit. Over- I had like free screen printing supplies because of the school, but I still didn't make any money. <laughs>
1: <laughs> After the COD, College of the Desert and ephemeral, clothing, ephemeral youth, yeah. you eventually make your way to the University of Washington.
0: Yeah. What was your experience there? So to backtrack a little bit, I was interning with this nonprofit in the desert, and the and the founder of that moved up to Washington and wanted to keep me involved, so I ended up kind of like moving up there to stay involved with that, and I wanted to finish my degree. UW seemed like a great school. They didn't have like an arts program where I was going, so I, I ended up actually majoring in communications um, with like, it was, my degree is insane, it's... Uh, <laughs> arts, media, and culture with an emphasis in comparative arts, which like doesn't mean anything. Comparative arts. Yeah. I, I what don't, does that entail? What I don't that? know. Like essentially like I was taking comms classes mixed with film okay. and like media classes. So was there any comparing at any point? <laughs> Maybe on my own. I don't don't know. (laughs) And mentally. Yeah, mentally. I mean, school for me was more of a, I just wanted to accomplish that goal. Like, it meant a lot to, you know, my parents. I think just, like, a personal goal. But I always knew that, like, it wasn't the end all. Like, oh, this degree is going to get me my job. Like, throughout school in Washington, I was freelancing full-time as, like, a photographer, doing social media work with different, like, brands or, like, local businesses. So, like, I never really had, like, the university college experience. I wasn't, like you know, in a frat or like in the dorms, like I was going to school and then like doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. It was, it was kind of like a background.
1: So it starts early with you because as I mentioned, you've worked with a ton of different brands over your career so far and what you said is that you very beginning of University of Washington, as early as that, which is like, what, 2013, 2014? Yeah, 2014, around there, yeah. You're doing social media for all these different projects. I had noted that you were like, one of the first photography things that I saw pop up was this like Local Wolves magazine that you did. Yeah, yeah. But, but how does a camera make it into your hands?
0: Yeah, so that's actually, it goes back to the desert. Um, I There's always like little moments in my life that I always feel were the Kickstarter to things. So when I was at uh, COD, I was in the running for this art scholarship, and it was through the school. It was like a a a donor from the school had like kind of set up this scholarship fund, and every year I think like five students were awarded it, and you kind of had to like do like a portfolio review with like a like a panel of professors and all that. Um, And I ended up winning, and it was like only a couple thousand dollars, but I like immediately put that money to buying a camera. I think I just had always, like, you know, Tumblr was big in the day, and I wanted to, like, be able to take photos, and I always, like, kind of, like, snuck the use of my brother's camera, but I wanted my own. So I got that camera, and then that kind of just, like, what became, like, my focus. And I've never been, like, a technical, like, kind of photographer where I'm, like, obsessed with gear. It was just, like, here's a camera. Do what you can Mm -hmm. with it. It was, like, a, a Rebel T3i, like, nothing crazy. But I got, like, a 50 millimeter lens, and I was, like, Sick. I can like take photos and portraits, so I take. I started taking photos of like my classmates, and then I ended up working with like a nonprofit, and which led to me like going to Liberia to take photos there. Like yeah, it was just so. kind of like a crazy journey. And then the cameras always became a part of my life. Um, and when I moved to Washington, that was like right when like Instagram was like at its heyday. The P and W like photographers of like 2014, mm-hmm. like I was a big deal at least in that little like pocket. And so I started like, you know. Going on hikes and taking like those like those like foggy Very like scenic P and W photos, but I always knew that I liked the story in a photo and like people more so than just like a pretty landscape. Mm-hmm. So I just started finding ways to you know take meet meet people and like either test you with models or um, you know photograph like local makers and do that. Yeah, that's kind of how it.
1: Was. I saw a bunch of the early stuff and the photographs that you're mentioning, and it's kind of crazy because your photographs, you're then starting to layer them and collaborate with other people that are putting like graphics and Mm -hmm. wording and messaging on them. Growing through your timeline was almost like a very much a a flashback to like what Instagram used to be Mm -hmm. in a sense, which is really cool. Yeah. When do you start to garner the attention of like brand collaborations and things like that?
0: So yeah, like the heyday of Instagram, there was like, this crescendo to where people started becoming, like, these, like, micro-influencers before, like, the word influencer was a term. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was more just, like, people who, like, really loved creating photos that lived well on a social media platform. Mm -hmm. And I think that I was never a part of the whole like Flickr photo community that came before Instagram, but I like was, I jumped into the Instagram photo community, like really like fast. And like I I got super passionate about it. So some early brands started like jumping on that. And that's initially how I worked with Gap because I had started gaining like some following. I think I I was all, I was like an early suggested user on Instagram, which really like gets you a ton of followers. Mm -hmm. Not that they're like real followers because a lot of them are just like random people who sign up and they're like oh follow this person then they never like engage with you ever which is a whole other topic about like why Instagram's dead but yeah and so Gap was going across the country to like five major cities like LA, Seattle, Chicago, New York and Nashville picking like five Instagram micro photographer influencers or whatever in that area to shoot photos of like 10 people they knew in Gap clothes. It was styled by the stylist that was on a girl with a dragon tattoo, That's which cool. was kind of crazy when I was 22 years old to be like, Oh, you're shooting this thing for gap. Absolutely. Um, it was kind of wild.
1: Just it, turned 21 last year. Yeah, and you're yeah,
0: like, yeah. Great. Now I'm working with this cool brand. It was sick. And like, <laughs> I, I think I got a little, Oh, this is like a bigger deal than it was. Cause you know, now I'm working corporate world. I know that like that stuff happens literally every month. Totally. Exactly. Um, but. Yeah, so I got to take all these photos. They had like a pop-up event where like our photos were on this like shipping container. Yeah, that was like I think my first opportunity to do stuff like that.
1: It's kind of interesting as we talk through this is there's this sort of mindset change now where an influencer back then was like being creative and just mm-hmm. having your images and your work kind of live on beyond just like a circle of your what you call community or friends, whatever it may be, bystanders, colleagues. And now it is very much a job. It's very much like a path that you take Mm -hmm. intentionally to be an influencer, and I say that in air quotes. Also, now that you're in the corporate world, you see that there is constantly influencer campaigns going on. It's almost like a normal part of a brand's marketing
0: project. I mean, for better or for worse, I feel like influencer, I don't love the term because I feel like I think of Barack Obama as an influencer. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's got real influence. He's made impacts in the world. Like, you know, yeah, you can hold up a, a T, like a like or whatever, and get paid some money for it. And sure, you're like selling a product, but like, are you like really influencing anything? I got into that realm where I was doing like random brands, which is like, hey, like, take a photo of this and post it and like, we'll give you money. And like, I was a college student. Of course, I was going to do that. You know, it got me through college without having to like, have like a day job. But At the end of the day, like, it's kind of like a, it's just like a little bit depressing. Like, you don't have anything to show for it afterwards. Like, and I wanted to do stuff that meant more or like was like larger scale. So I just kind of like stopped. My Instagram to me is yeah I have like these everyone sees like my Instagram like oh you had followers I was like yeah but like doesn't really matter like it was like five years ago when it was like crucial to like my living situation sure yeah
1: I think now I constantly battle this idea of like when is that time period or when does when does the time approach when being an influencer starts to slowly just become less and less yeah relevant people who garner these eyes and attention that go on from that and then what happens when people aren't using influencers anymore
0: you know, yeah, it's a weird I mean, idea to think of that happened with like vine you know mm-hmm. like vine people had their entire like livelihood on vine and then vine's gone what do you do it's a very ephemeral like that's like a perfect word for it it's not something that you're going to build the rest of your life on and I, you know there's a lot of people like Gen Z or like whatever you want to call it There's a lot of like this like influencer culture right now what happens if you lose your like followers you don't mm-hmm. really have like anything to fall back on cuz like your entire like livelihood is based on this kind of like made up status sure yeah. um kind of saw that early on happening on Instagram I just decided like hey you got to like make sure you're not banking on this because then where are you going to be and luckily I was able to like kind of pivot to doing some other things
1: you know in between Your time on the West Coast. You had mentioned that you end up somehow on the East Coast as well. But in between those, your photography, your work kind of leads you to work with a very cool podcast called Let's Give a Damn. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that stood out for me is that you got the opportunity to photograph Rain Wilson. Yeah, that was dope. From the office, (laughs) like the guy with the glasses. What's his name on the office? Dwight. Dwight. I'm not a big office fan, I'm sorry, everybody. Sorry, I forgive you. But I've seen it like
0: ten times. That's (laughs) awesome.
1: I would catch it with my my roommate. He watched it like a million times a night. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of in there. but I'm not. What were you doing? You know, what was some of the work that you picked up in between?
0: So, I don't know, like a little nostalgic about like this time in my life because, you know, after I graduated and before I moved to the East Coast, I was full-time freelance for like two years and I just kind of took on like whatever kind of came my way and I took on like three road trips and I would just kind of like hit the road for like Two weeks and maybe set up some meetings along the way. I'd do like some a little influencer content creation to like pay for my gas. And I would end up being a visit like friends in different cities. And one of those times, I just like happened to be in Southern California at the same time, Nick, who's the founder of Let's Give a Damn, was gonna go interview Rain Wilson. I always tell Nick, like, hey, if there's any opportunity to like photograph your guests, like I'm all about it. I love taking portraits and being a part of that. And I love the office. So like when he said, Hey, you're gonna come take photos of Dwight, I was like, that's pretty freaking cool. And I just drove up from I was in Palm Springs visiting my friends and drove up to LA and that day I think met Nick, picked him up and we drove out to Rain's ranch. He has like pigs, but it's like kind of that's awesome. he's kind of a really cool dude. Yeah, and I had 5 minutes to take like photos of Rain. Not my best photos ever.
1: I mean, that's interesting to hear from you because I thought they were great. I mean, you yeah. know, <laughs> looks like a very stunning man, like, out in the wilderness. I think I
0: captured him really differently than anybody else has ever captured mm-hmm. Rain Wilson. Like, I feel like everyone really plays into the kind of, like, kooky, like, corny vibe. But if you meet him in person, yeah, he's, like, a funny guy. But he's also very, like, serious. And he does really... Serious things, and he's very intellectual. So, I captured him in a way that was like not trying to be like corny, I want to be like hey, his is you know a really smart man. But I had like five minutes with him, and like somehow that photo has become like part of the meme that goes around the internet of like <laughs> that's great glow, like it's like glow ups when you get a beard. I think it's like Dwight's like counterpart in the office, Jim. It's like Jim got a beard now, and like Jack Ryan, so it's like the glow up to that. Yeah,
1: the ultimate payoff for any creative <laughs> is for it to be turned into a meme, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> your photography is providing you a lot of these opportunities, a lot of chances to work with brands and collaborate with people. Were there any photographers or any artists or really anyone in your life that really kind of led you in terms of style to develop something unique about your photography? Or, you know, was there anyone inspired you along the way?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to like pinpoint like a specific person. Um, I think, my time in the Northwest really like solidified a little bit more like my style and passion for creating. Yeah, I mean, I've always been inspired by like Annie Leibovitz, which is like a really easy like go to. Mm-hmm. Um, but just because of like her portraiture and like how she like tells stories, I'm not the kind of person that, like tries to emulate other people's work. I think I honestly get more inspiration from films and art than just, like, looking at other photographers' work and be like, I want to be like that. I've always tried to have a little more of a cinematic documentarian look to the work that I love. Obviously not all my work gets to work look like that, but the stuff I'm really excited about, I try to make look like that more of a bigger story that goes beyond like, the one photo.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think to that point about film, you had mentioned the elevator, but you have a resolution to watch a hundred films before the new year. Yeah, it's hard. What prompted that challenge and what, what have been some of the films included in that list?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I have always been into movies, but I was only watching like I feel like I had, like, a small pocket of, like, you know, I obviously, like, grew up watching the original Mary Poppins or... Shrek. Yeah, or or even, like, going back to, like, class movies, like It's a Wonderful Life or watching a lot of, like, John Wayne movies growing up or, like, stuff Mm -hmm. like that and then new movies, but I'd never had the, like, the time or it just, like, never happened to fill in the gaps of, like, a lot of these kind of, like, cultural moments. Like, I'd never seen The Shining until this year, but I've, like been around so many people who have like talked about references I've seen like the photos of you know the axe coming through the door like I just didn't know or, or the, the memes team, like, of like yeah the blood coming out of the elevator like I had no idea what that was from so I realized the because I was like hey like New Year's resolution is going to be like really stupid it's always like lose 20 pounds and get a six pack
1: prep for hot girl something yeah
0: which like would be dope like I'd be I'd, that'd be great I just like don't really want to like spend four hours in a gym every day. Yeah. So I landed on watching 100 films, and I I compiled this list from a few different sources on the the internet, like, of, like, the greatest films of all time or, like, the most, like, pop culture-referenced films of all time. And some of the films I've seen already, like, I've seen, like, Clockwork Orange, but, like, I wanted to watch it again to, like, actually, like, pay attention to it. So I built this list. It's actually, like, 108 films. I I think I'm only going to do 100 because... There's a few films on there I've been like, I don't need to watch that again. Like, I've seen Gone with the Wind before. Sure. It's like three and a half hours. Mm. I keep thinking I'm going to do it again. I just never get to the point where I'm dedicating three and a half hours to watching it. But, like, I watched Lawrence of Arabia this this year, and that's, like, a three-hour movie. But it's, like, one of those epics of—not like a Star Wars epic, but it's kind of like that epic story that I feel like a lot of films from that time were like. You know, it's like Ben-Hur. Like, Ben-Hur is, like, a a three-and-a-half-hour movie, but— it feels like a novel. Nowadays they don't make movies like that, really. But yeah, there's there's a lot of films on there, like some of my favorites will span the gamut, you know. like I love, you know, An American in Paris, Mm -hmm. which is this film that's like a musical, but also like just classic 1950s movie. And it's just so perfect because honestly, Inspired like La La Land. If you look at La La Land, you see American Paris, and that's what I really got from this list is wanting to be able to like compare movies and understand like where these people were inspired by. Like you know, the recent Joker movie, heavily inspired by The Taxi Driver, and so it's just really like I wanted to be able to have that kind of cultural understanding. And I
1: maybe we could share that list later on.
0: Yeah, I mean, everyone in the office has (laughs) has had it at some point. That's cool.
1: So you're currently working at Squarespace as a creative producer. What else does the role of a creative producer entail?
0: I think that I had always wanted to get to this point or get to this role. I just didn't know what it was, you know, I'm super OCD about making plans for everything or lists or schedules or everything in a google sheet or google doc for me even when i was just doing freelance photography i acted as my own producer as well you know i would book the crew and work with the model to arrange the schedule like i was always doing that and i didn't realize that that's what a creative producer does that person puts all the pieces together like a puzzle for the creative to happen. So i have really lucked out here at Squarespace because we don't just work on, we're not just post producers or line producers or video producers, we kind of do everything. I started here as a production coordinator, not even as a, as a producer, and I was able to kind of like start from the ground up I had never really been on like sets before or like productions or anything like that. So I, I learned everything from what the gear is that the photographer needs or the videographer needs to like what the producers are doing, like what they're doing behind the scenes, like making sure people are fed is like a big deal on a shoot because you don't want people to get hangry. Sure, um, yeah. And I've been on shoots where like the producer didn't get them food and they, it doesn't go so well. I get hangry so, super easily. Yeah. So here I was able to, you know, move into the the producer role and I've been able to work on radio ads, video shoots shoots, print collateral, photo shoots, experiential activations. It runs the gamut but it's been like a really awesome opportunity to be able to like just p- get my hands in a lot of different things and figure out like what I like to do and also not trial by fire because like, we have like support but you get to like learn and like see like oh this is how that's done. And So a lot of times like a lot of these productions like from the outside it looks like super easy but then like you know you see like a, a minute long video on Instagram and you realize that that's probably like, two three weeks of planning and like a full day shoot and like twenty people involved. You know, what I mean it's it's kind of cool to like see that as a producer and be able to like bring those people together to make something.
1: So you're at Squarespace now for a little bit over a year, almost going on two years. You're going
0: on two years. Yeah.
1: Was there something that led you here in the first place? Or, you know, like did you have any idea that you wanted to be at Squarespace? I think the company has grown so much in terms of a brand and, and has
0: really made a stand for itself, but you know, what kind of led you here in the first place? So I was I was in Philly. Philadelphia, um, working at urban, like the headquarters for urban outfitters and free people. It was interesting because it was kind of like internal communications and creating content for the internal newsletter and website and for the campus and for the retail stores. And so it was a lot of like telling the stories of the makers on campus or the collaborations that the brands were doing. I didn't necessarily love it. I felt like it was a little bit, not in the realm I wanted to go to, you know, I, I think I just wanted to be able to tell a little bit more of like stories and not just be like internal facing, because then I, I never really got to like branch out of like a certain stream. I was open to opportunities. I think I changed my like LinkedIn to open to recruiters or whatever you do, and Someone from here like reached out about this position. It was a creative production coordinator. Seemed like something that was interesting. I'd had my website on Squarespace for like six years, so mm. I, was, I knew what the brand was. I wasn't tightly affiliated with the company. It wasn't like, oh, I want to like, this is the only place I ever want to work. But the more I learned about it, the more I saw it. It, it aligned with my like ethos and like where I wanted to go really well. But I had never thought I was going to go to New York. That was not in my... Like, I think a lot of people really, really, really want to... End up in New York and like idolize New York. Like romance the idea. Yeah. And for me, I've been here before. Like it wasn't, I'd never been here, but it was always just like the, a big city. You know, like, yeah, there's like, a lot of cool shit here, but. I didn't necessarily like, oh, I need to live there. So when I ended up getting a job here, I was like, okay, cool. like it's just in another city. So I think that was like a really good way for me to like move up here though. Without like all these expectations, it's a really hard city. Like the first year I lived here, I was kind of depressed all the time because you realize how much work you have to put into it just like to survive. Getting groceries is no longer like a simple task. Going to Trader Joe's, you're going to be in a line for 40 minutes and then have to carry bags of groceries upstairs, downstairs in the subway, crammed other people back to your apartment. You know, it's, it's a a lot of work and I was comfortable like in everywhere else I've lived, you know, Philly, I had a massive apartment for like half the price I pay here to live with like multiple roommates. Like it's, it's just like a weird dichotomy. Like, yeah, you get to come here and do like really cool stuff and like kind of realize your dreams and hustle and like are around so many opportunities. You almost take a step back in your everyday life in a sense.
1: I agree. It is very much like the hustle and bustle of New York, and that's there for a reason. Now, living here for some time, is there anything that you absolutely love about New York?
0: Yeah, I mean, I walked down the street like a months ago, and Bill Murray walked out of a, a film trailer. That's which awesome. Was pretty cool. He Bill walked Murray, right back legend. in after looking at me. Yeah, we, there was no interaction, but we you guys looked, communicated. We, yeah, with, yeah, your with eyes. our eyes. <laughs> I, I think he remembers me. Yeah, I mean, I I think that now that I've been here over a year, the first initial kind of like love hate hate, hate, like has (laughs) dispersed a little bit. I've started to like really see the city as this kind of like wilderness of things, exciting opportunities. And just, you know, like little random moments, Like, like that Bill Murray thing, that's like a really random moment, but like, it makes you feel like you're a part of something bigger. I've been extra about trying to like do as much in New York, as far as like things you can do, like that aren't like touristy, but like, just like living here, you know, I, I, other day I got to go to like this director's talk with Roger Eggers uh, the director of The Witch and The Lighthouse and it was like free at the Lincoln Center but those are things you don't like get to do other places yeah me and my girlfriend like love this like era of New York like the the 1940s 50s like Frank Sinatra kind of vibe Rat Pack all that just cause we love films like that too mm. and so like Little Italy is a place we we like. That's like corny for a lot of people, but it reminds us of that kind of time. Kind of has that vibe. Yeah, and that's like something that grows on you. When you come here to visit, you're like going to see like the MoMA and the Met and like the Statue of Liberty. But those things are all like dope. But like those are almost like not like New Yorker things. I've kind of realized. Yeah. Like I don't. <laughs> think I'll ever go to the Statue of Liberty, like, voluntarily again. Like, sure. the one time I went, I got stuck on it, because nice. there was a protest. A woman climbed the statue in that, protest. You were there for that. Yeah, I took the wow. photos on the news. <laughs> like <laughs> That's great. The, if you look at, like, the Fox News and, like, CNN like, articles, it's like, photo by hello at Danny Owens. It was. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, that <laughs> That's my, not like,
1: so much of a New Yorker experience. That's no, great. it was
0: weird. But, but yeah, I feel like the little things in New York are what excite me more so now.
1: That's awesome very much living and breathing the East Coast vibe right now, but growing up in Washington, and trying to do a little bit of research from that side of the coast, I was able to find that Washington's also known for a lot of things. It's called the Evergreen State because there's a lot of trees. A lot of rain. <laughs> uh, a lot of rain. You also have a lot of famous individuals from Washington like Bob Barker, Kurt Cobain, mm-hmm. uh, Bill Gates, but it's also known specifically around Seattle for its coffee. Yeah. And what makes it so well-known for coffee out there? I, I,
0: okay, so for one, I think it's because Starbucks started in Seattle mm-hmm. Not that I love Starbucks coffee, but Starbucks is a lifestyle in Seattle that's a lot different. You know, the roastery was the first roastery, like the really cool like Willy Wonka Starbucks Mm -hmm. was in Seattle and and there's like a Starbucks around every corner. But I think that wave of Seeing coffee, like you always think of like your dad drinking like Folgers or something like that. That yep. was like what people did. I remember my dad's first experience at Starbucks. He like was he got like a caramel macchiato and he thought it was like so cool that there was like caramel like drizzled on top. It was like a big deal. Like he was like, This is huge. Yeah, this is like this is a special occasion. So I think that Kind of permeated the start in the northwest, and then you had that this wave of craft coffee, like just like you had craft beer, like you have craft coffee, where you're either going to this coffee shop for a specific experience, a specific aesthetic that is really inspiring or looks really cool, you want to like be in that space, or you're going for these like really amazing preparations of coffee. Like, one of my favorite coffee shops is Kova, which is in Portland. Those places, you get to, like, kind of pick what coffee bean you want to be drinking. You know, I love Ethiopian coffee because it's very, like, fruity, and it's blueberry, like, for—it's it's really great. But you have to prepare it in a way, and they, they can do, like, pour-overs there, where it's a really slow process of making your coffee. And, yeah, I think people are just, like, really, like, intentional about certain things. You know, like, obviously, like, the Northwest is known for a lot of— environmentally focused people and also people who are really into organic lifestyles. And I think coffee just kind of naturally fit within that. They wanted to source coffee that wasn't just your can in the grocery store.
1: You are also, over the summer, working on a project for yeah. so, opening up a coffee store, shop, cafe. I don't know. I'm not a big coffee drinker, <laughs> as you can tell. I'm called Electric Coffee House.
0: Yeah. When I first moved to the Washington area, I moved to a, a little town called Puyallup. And I started working at a coffee shop there that was like the cool coffee shop in that area. It was called Anthem Coffee. And I had been there before, and I thought it was so... Like, I never in the desert would have anything like that. You know, we had Starbucks and the Coffee Bean, but mm-hmm. they were not cool vibes or places to go and Anthem had like a fireplace and like all like the young people like centered around that place it became like the third place you know like not work or home but that, sure, that yeah. place you hang out at and so when I first moved to up I ended up getting a job there for I think like Eight months, something like that, being a barista. So I got more into coffee too through that, learning you know how it's actually prepared. And it wasn't the best coffee, but <laughs> so through that I um, met Tina, who's the founder of Electric Coffee. She was a barista at the same time. We became we became like pretty great friends. So she'd always had the dream to like open her own coffee shop. So about like I think last October, actually like around this time last year, she was telling me about like how she wants to open this coffee shop and I was I'm always looking for that side project mm-hmm. that I don't have to like be really beholden to a boss or a company about. To be completely open, I didn't get paid a dime from working electric. It was purely because I wanted to, one, kinda of work with my friend. I saw an opportunity to like make something like really cool for her. And two, just to have that side project. So I came on as like a hybrid creative director, creative producer on that. I crafted kind of like the overall like vision of what electric coffee would look like, both from a branding standpoint and of like an interior standpoint and an experience standpoint. And then the producers side of it, I hired a graphic designer, Alejandro Rodriguez, who was amazing. I hired my girlfriend, Elena Hart, who's a copywriter. And so that was like the creative team. And so then I also would end up facilitating all the vendors. So any vendor as far as like the neon vendor to the menu printer, that vendor, even like choosing the furniture, I would order that furniture. I was kind of like creating the vision and the creative like aesthetic and then executing on it as well. That's awesome. You
1: had mentioned that like you didn't really get paid a dime for the project. Yeah. And you know, I would, I like to categorize that as like a passion project, right? Like this is something that you're really excited about that allows you to kind of expand and learn a little bit more and and also kind of push your creativity a little bit. How do you find time to, while maintaining a job, dealing with New York bullshit, but also be able to put your heart and soul into a project like Electric
0: House, Electric Coffee House? It was lucky that it was on the west coast because that means like everything was like three hours later for me so technically if i'm like working on this at six o'clock here it's still three there so i would work on it like early in the morning or like at night or on the weekends i also have like a bad habit of investing myself in things that aren't necessarily like paying me financially for me it was like hey yeah you're spending time that you're not getting paid for but this is going to reward you in the long run. because like who gets to like make a coffee shop with somebody. Yeah, that's awesome. That doesn't just like fall in your lap. So maybe down the line, I'll get to work on another coffee shop because I have this in my portfolio or, you know, I've met like different vendors through this. I met, I worked with this um, one print shop here in New York called Textbook. They do risograph printing and they're really great. They're like super awesome to work with. And now they're like in my like kind of Rolodex of like if I need to ever do something like that again, I can do that. I also know like a great neon vendor in Seattle randomly. And neons are big. Yeah. That's always fun to have. Yeah. I mean, it's for for the gram, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, I always have just, like, had that little, like, side thing that, like, sometimes I put money towards it that doesn't come back towards me, or I put time towards it that, like, will come back in, like, unique ways.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's awesome. I think the project turned out great, and I'm hoping at some point in my life that I can get over to Washington and not only explore the green trees and the amount of rain, but also the coffee house. How many more films do you have left on that list? I have... 19 more films 19 in more films. two months. I got this. <laughs> um, well, Danny, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Where can uh, people find more of you and find more of your work?
0: Yeah, I mean, you can just check like, out my website, dannyowens.co. It's just kind of a amalgamation of stuff I've done um, or just like on Instagram at danny.owens. Awesome. Thank you so much, Danny. Thanks, dude.
1: This podcast is produced by me, John Sarantino out in Jersey City, New Jersey. Editing, mixing, and music are all done by my friend, Kevin Bendis in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Definitely check him out. You can find out more about WellFed and where to listen at wellfedpodcast.com or on social media at wellfedpodcast. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you soon.